Alright, so welcome to Full Metal RPG, Episode 8. I'm your host, Brendan. And I'm your second host, Ben. Today we are joined by our friend, Dustin, who has been gaming with us for many, many years and is currently um, in the Out of the Abyss campaign, who you may remember as the Paladin Kale. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's good to finally be here. Yeah, we've been trying to get you on for a while, man. You've you've proved most elusive. Yes, reclusive, elusive, aloof, and slippery like an eel. But we finally we finally managed to get Dustin into the studio, aka my side bedroom, and <laughs> we're recording now amidst the drawings and the role playing books. And uh, that's comforting. <laughs> we're gonna talk about um. What we've been doing with D and D, how um, Ali Abyss is going, and then we're gonna have a special discussion about paladins, because paladins in fifth year are a little weird and a little different than they have been. And I think that we're—I mean, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong—but paladins have always been kind of like a weird class. Am I right? It's always been a little yeah, bit different. Yeah, I've always found them sort of daunting. I think uh, even back like you know when I first started noticing them, I think around second edition, eighty. Second edition. Um, it was. Uh, I don't know. I I think to this day I I I don't think I've ever tried to play a paladin. Oh, I played a paladin. I yeah. played one. Just seems like it's one of those classes too, where it's like you're really in the driver's seat, and if you don't know what you're doing, you'll just tank the whole game. Well, I mean, I guess we'll discuss that. We'll discuss that when we get to it. Um, I mean, here we are. It's the day after Christmas. It's the day after Christmas, we're recording this, and um, I guess the first that we'll kind of start off with a little bit of kind of like what you guys know too. Like, we get, anybody get anything good for Christmas? Anything, anybody getting any gaming shit? Uh, no, not really. I don't really celebrate Christmas. So for me, it was, you know, just time with family, which was, uh, you know, really rewarding. All right. That's good. Sadly, I did not get any gaming stuff for Christmas either. Now I'm thinking about it. It's kind of weird. From my girlfriend, Heather, I got two things. I got some uh, D&D 4 uh, dungeon tiles that are super sweet and that we'll be using in the Abyss very shortly here. And I got this fucking killer ass Vampire the Masquerade shirt that I am that I'm rocking right now. Um, it is really badass. Dude, it's pretty great. It's one of these uh, Tim Bradstreet images from the uh, second edition core book. Um, you can get these on Redbubble, and uh, I've, I've never used the Redbubble service. I've been like familiar with it for a while, based on you know Onyx Path. They put out little kind of missives about it every so often. But I've never bought one. I've always wanted to, and I gotta say I'm very happy with the product um, that we got. Uh, it's very sweet looking. Hey, anyway, thanks, man. So, uh, Dustin, it's been, we've been bad. Ben and I have been remiss about kind of introducing people to our audience on the show. I think people probably have the best idea of who Adam is because we did ask him some questions. So I got a couple questions for you. Okay. So, 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 you know, like tell us a little something about yourself, man. Like, you know, for instance, how old are you ish? That's always the, the question right now. Um, 31. 31 years old. All right, cool. Proud so be, proud to be in my my, my early 30s. You are? I, I'm not. Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not I'm not in my early 30s anymore, though. I, I made it this far. <laughs> I guess if you were, you might still be proud to be. I don't know. Yeah, well, it was better than being uh, being in your early 30s. is better than being in your mid to late 30s, which is where I'm at now. 
Um, what do you what do you do for a living, homie? Uh, I work for uh, Skin Actives. Um, I'm in charge of the filling department. What What does that mean? Um, I tell people to put stuff in containers and boxes and get it ready for shipment. We're essentially like the last step. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, in production, anyways. Full full disclosure, Ben and Dustin and I all work at the same place. We do. We do. If you follow any of the Instagrams I do every so often, you'll see a picture of the inside of that place, but not often. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys even mentioned that. Well, uh, kind of. I think in past. I think we've one. mentioned that we work yeah. together. I don't know that we necessarily got into depth about it. Yeah, we should do an episode one time where we just kind of talk about like who it, who the fuck it is that we are, so people know. Uh, it's one of the things when I'm listening to a podcast and I have and it's just like a bunch of talking voices. I'm just kind of like, uh, who are these people? You know. Anyway. Uh, I've already got some ideas now after after you say that, so yeah? we should talk about that later. Yeah. yeah, we should. We should indeed. So, um, how long you been gaming, Dustin? Um, um, let's see. Probably like 10, but I didn't really get into like gaming hardcore. Until That's when you started when you were 10. Yeah. You started at the age of 10. Yes. Okay. Wow. Age of 10. Uh, That's pretty what young. Were you, uh, what'd you play at 10? Um, Magic, Battletech cards, tried to play actual Battletech. Uh, oh, wow. There's even some, uh, some attempts at like D and D box sets and stuff, but sure. my parents were kind of weird about that at the time, or my mom and my stepdad. At was the it time the Satanic Panic? Were they upset? Yeah. They were upset about the watching too many Tom Hanks movies <laughs> or something. But she's over yeah. that now. Yeah, we've all been through it. It's <laughs> you know, we've all been through it. Um, and so yeah, and that's what you got started with is essentially uh, TCGs. Yeah, my dad kind of like he used to be a role player. When he was a kid, and he would kind of talk about the stuff. What did he play? Kinda, uh, first edition D and D. He had some other models from some other games. I'm not sure what they were from. I know he's talked about playing. Um, I'm assuming it's probably like the first Conan game. Oh, that's kind of cool. And then he had some other models and various models, but he doesn't do that stuff anymore. Yeah, a lot of people kind of move on from it. You know, I don't know if it's the juvenilization of our culture or whatever, but like. For whatever reason, I mean, I, even not too long ago, though, you were playing 40k with your dad, right? Like, that was a thing. Um, well, it was kind of like trying to, like, I guess, like, do a bonding exercise or something, oh, okay. even. And it was one thing, like, I'm interested in this, maybe he still is, but it was, eh, it didn't really go anywhere. He didn't care for it. I don't think we even really got to the playing part. Like, he bought a bunch of Necrons. This was back, I think, when I still lived in California, actually. Oh, wow, okay. I mean, so 40k is sort of a tough pill like, to swallow. A long time ago. Yeah. But, I mean, we all know 40K. We could fucking do a whole episode on, on that shit show. At least. Yeah, <laughs> at least. <laughs> we all um, have plenty of experience in that game. So, uh, we played, about a week ago, we played our last session. And, when, you know, with the holidays and stuff, we, we usually like to record, like, right as soon as we're done playing, like, within a couple of days. Um, but with the holidays and the way that all the timing fell out and stuff, uh, we've kind of put it off for about a week. So here we are. We've all gathered to kind of do uh, the summary slash recap slash thoughts about what's going on out of the abyss. So what is going on out of the abyss? Who who remembers? Guest first. Thanks, buddy. Uh, so we made our way across, or began to make our way across the dark lake. Um, yeah. We yeah. had some some troubles. Uh, we ran into a hag. Sure. That was fun. That was a fun encounter. Um, Almost lost our rogue. She probably would have gotten eaten if we didn't show up a little bit sooner. 
Yeah, I think I think it's important to note that I think when we left off the last time, the time the session before that, we had um, been approached by our previous drought captors. Yeah. And there was the idea of whether or not we were going to meet with them or not. Um, yeah, to form an alliance. They wanted to form an alliance for mutual protection yeah. in the Underdark. I keep yeah. forgetting since I wasn't for, there for that Exactly. Session. The previous session you weren't there for, Kale wasn't, but you were here for this next session. Yeah. And when you were pitched the idea <laughs> of forming an alliance with the drow, you said what? Uh, in character or out of character? Uh, you know, in character's fine. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah, it just sounded like a bad idea. Yeah, and your character has some especially, other reasons behind why yeah, not wanting to do that. Exactly. Well, why did you guys as players think that was such a bad idea? Just out of curiosity. I'm not questioning your judgment. I just want to know what your no, rationale was. Okay, as, as a player, I actually feel like that might have been the, the, the best thing for us to do would be to take the alliance. Mm. I actually agree with that. As a really? character, as a character, I did not want to. As a character, I um, don't really want to put myself anywhere near those guys' grasp again. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Considering like the, my character's history with the drow and then already what we've had to deal with up to this point, it just seems kind of stupid Yeah, that they would all of a sudden be like, hey, let's kind of put down our arms and be buddies for at least a little bit when essentially you know they're just going to stab you in the back you just don't know when <laughs> those drow characters man they're rough it's like i kind of presented you guys with that concept i wanted to see what you would do with it um i don't know if i was actually hoping if he would take it or not i there was this part of me that was like oh it'll, it'll make for some cool role playing if they go for it but then i was also like it'll be very complex if they do because it'll be a bunch more NPCs they've got to deal with. And I've all, I feel like, this is, you know, mea culpa on my part, okay? I feel like the NPCs in Out of the Abyss have been, like, really lackluster. And that's my fault. I was talking to Heather about this. She goes, oh, it's not your fault that we're with, like, the lamest NPCs. I'm like, no, it's in entirely my fault that the NPCs are lame. And, and they feel lame, and they're not fun, and they're not vibrant because of me. You know what I'm saying? I, I actually disagree. I feel like, okay, so I feel like there have been some vibrant NPCs. Like, I feel like Jim Jar comes off as incredibly mysterious and um, someone that, like, we all kind of want to, like, you know, like peel off the layers and feel like who, who he is underneath. Um, Jazz Red uh, comes off as, like, a, a very creepy sort of insane mystic who um, I, I don't know that we necessarily want to have a lot to do with them as characters because he is so creepy, but he certainly doesn't feel like he's, like, you know, lacking on that level. Um, yeah, I mean... It, I I feel like Jim Jar has been a tough sell because he is supposed to be kind of mysterious, and that means that it's like a slow burn. You know what I'm saying? He can't just see if he's seen doing mysterious shit all the time, then then that's not mysterious. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? No, it's true, but I think like is is sort of typified by like the conversation I had with Jim Jar on uh, on the, this last session. Mm -hmm. um, that he's definitely one of the characters that I, as a character, am most interested in. Go ahead. You want to say something? Oh, I was just going to second essentially what Ben was saying, watching the interactions with that character. He seems like he has at least more to offer than some of the others, at least up front. Yeah, and I think I think that I'm hoping that, that he's going to kind of come into his own when you guys get to Man Mantal Derith. Uh, there's, there's, I have hope for that. Um, Huntress, I think, hasn't really worked out. That character has not been particularly interesting. Nobody seems particularly interested in her. And that's fine. That's fine. S Sarith met his un un unfortunate demise yeah. too early. Uh, Eldath, I never did anything with. That's on me. So Huntress and Eldath, that's my fault. Um, and then maybe I should have... I mean, there's so many NPCs available. Anyway, 
how do we even start this conversation? It just uh, it, 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 the NPCs have been haven't really been working out. I think it might actually turn around once we get to another civilized uh, place, anyways. Because I think it's kind of difficult, and it's almost like if you are kind of trying to play a character, you might not necessarily be worrying about making friends when you're like worried for your life something's gonna yeah from the from from the dark lake or some hag's gonna eat you or whatnot i mean i guess in way of synopsis for the listeners we can say that this session was largely um random encounters on the dark lake and there were a couple of them there was uh they came across a hag, and I thought that that was kind of fun. We did some kind of. I love that encounter. We did like we did a little. Yeah, can you can you go over those descriptions for us again? No. <laughs> <laughs> so so I had the I had these guys kind of get overtaken by like a mist, uh, when they had um, made tried to make camp for the night, and then some of us had split up. They 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 did the classic horror movie thing, and they split up to kind of look around for some resources and. They got drawn by this mist into this kind of like I know that green hags are supposed to live in caves, but I decided to have this kind of like kind of like a German folk tale kind of like house be in the underdark, which is supposed to be kind of peeking to them. And so uh, characters started disappearing, and then they started they, the characters who hadn't disappeared were looking for the ones that had, so they started investigating this house. And then there was this green hag inside, but she using her illusory powers was presenting herself as this, like, voluptuous sorceress who was in, like, various... And this is going to sound juvenile and puerile, but I thought it was kind of fun. It played with kind of, like, Arthurian-type stuff. Um, she she was, like, in, in various states of, of, of dress or undress at different points in, in a way that, to try and, pl- like, manipulate the player characters, which didn't really go very well for her, I have to say. No, it did not. You know, I mean, I think that the evil party, like, pretty much uh, had had their fill of her shit within, like, two seconds of walking in the door, and, and it just deteriorated very rapidly. Yeah, I think that we knew that, you know, shit wasn't right and that... Uh, you know, our companions, we'd found some of our companions' gear there, and uh, we wanted her to give our companions to us. Yeah, yeah. the whole so, thing was just very suspicious from the get-go. So we asked her. <laughs> uh, we beat her a bit. Um, <laughs> Probably could have beat <laughs> yeah, her yeah, a like, I, I don't know if we're going to put, put it like that. There was an encounter in which they fought. Uh, they, I definitely they, beat they, her before that encounter. Wow, started. okay. I mean, well... <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is an evil game, and it did get a little, it got a little dark. I think there was a there was a little bit of the backhand happened, um, but then there was a, there was a stand up encounter during which these guys were essentially destroying this character. So she withdrew and released the um, captive PCs. Yeah, I think I think when when we she had sort of like fled for a bit and was going to regroup, I think that uh, we had busted down her wall, and then I just called out, figuring that she was listening. Give us back our companions, and we'll leave you in peace. Otherwise, we'll destroy you. And um, she she gave us her companions, told us to leave and never return, which I actually find interesting as an evil party as well. Because here you have this, like, obviously evil character outside in the wilderness, like, preying on people. Right. You know, and, and, and a, a typically, like, good party might feel bad about, like, leaving this, this like, calamity out on, like, out on the path of travel for, like, you know, poor, defenseless whoever. Not us. We didn't care. It's it, it is true that the evil party ended up having a much more live and let live attitude than a good party, which would have been compelled to genocidally you massacre. Must die. Yeah, exactly. I, and I mean that just gets into the entire sort of like boggle of morality and ethics and alignment in Dungeons and Dragons, which I mean it. 
has never made sense to me since, I guess it kind of made sense when I was a teenager, but it certainly hasn't since even in my early 20s. I think you just think differently when you're younger, especially in terms of like morality and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I I want us to do a whole episode on this exact subject. It's on my list. I think we talked about this before too. Yeah. Um, so uh, after that happened, then there were a couple more dark, like, random encounters. There were some rapids, and you guys got attacked by a thing called a grell, which is like a floating brain with tentacles. And Kale had to experience that one up close and personal. Yeah, Kale had to do, do battle with I got with very that. personal with... And, yeah, you, you delivered the final, the final blow, right? Yes. And that was, that, that was cool. That worked out well. And then there was another kind of interesting scene Oh, by the way, I wanted to say, I, I thought that the, the description of the, the grell was actually quite vivid and oh, disgusting. Oh, yeah, did it work? Yeah. Okay, good. That's, I mean, you have to do what you can when you're trying to, like... Some of those monsters in the Monster Manual are kind of silly looking. Especially even just describing its approach to the party was actually pretty pretty sweet and pretty cool. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, okay. it definitely, yeah, it definitely lent itself mysterious. to, like, a, like, like a huge it? sense of danger coming. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that's good. That's good. These are things you don't know when you're behind the screen. Um, and then you guys fell into some rapids, and there were uh, these kind of, like... These, I'm not even gonna bother with the name. It's in the, it's in the Out of the Abyss book. It's these weird kind of stingray creatures that are like evil and like mildly sentient. I think they have like intelligences of like five or eight or something. I think they can talk to you if you speak abyssal or something. Anyway, um, they attacked the party because there's there were a bunch of checks required in which people which people failed. I mean, huzzah! At least you guys failed some checks because I mean, let me tell you. Uh, running the encounters in this game, sometimes I feel like it's kind of boring because these guys just steamroll encounters. I mean, I, there's there's only really been one encounter, maybe two, that presented any kind of actual threat to the party. For the most part, it feels very one-sided. Um, and that's definitely like a critique I have with Out of the Abyss overall. And that may just be indicative of how I'm running it, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Um... So people did fail their dexterity-based checks, which is interesting because that calls for a dexterity check, not a dexterity save. And I don't know if maybe that was what screwed you guys up, but some people fall in, and then these these lamprey, not lampreys, but these like stingray-looking things are fighting them. And that was an okay encounter. I think if it was visually cool to me in my head, yeah. I imagined it looking cool. But in terms of like the mechanics of the battle, it was just kind of it was kind of eh, whatever. Yeah, I wasn't as into that battle as I was the other one. Probably because I didn't go into the water at all. Maybe that might have been part of it. But um, yeah, I was but you the weren't one going in the water. I mean, you're a monk. Yeah, I was staying up top, and uh, I provided like a much needed hand for the people who were in the water to get out. Um, it, once I could convince them to get out of the water, which was sort of surprising. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of where we left it, right? You guys were like floating on the dark lake and. You guys are getting ever closer to your goal. But yeah, it was just a traveling session where we were traveling through the, yeah. the unfathomable Underdark. And so now we can kind of talk a little bit about how we feel about Out of the Abyss and where we're at with it. I mean, at, at this point, Out of the Abyss has been largely about questing. It's been... And this is counter to a lot of the type of games that I run. I run a lot of World of Darkness, and the last fantasy game I ran was a city game, so... As Council of Thieves or Pathfinder, which we'll bring up that in a minute. But um, I really like to have a particular geographic area that you can kind of work and like build detail over time and create more and more depth. And it's been very difficult to do that without the abyss because you guys never stay in the same place for more than like a couple hours, really. Well, I think I think some of that has to do with the nature of which the game started. I mean, we started out as slaves. We're escaping. We're trying to escape 
to a place where we can sort of like thrive. But I think that once we get there, um, that will change quite a bit. I think that like in a lot of ways, if you want to look at it this, this way, the rejection of working with the drow was sort of the rejection of like the quest mentality on some level. We're not questing right now. We're trying to get to a city, a port, and then we're going to sort of regroup. And who knows what we're going to do at that point. Yeah, I mean, whoa, 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 you look like you have something to say, Dustin. No, not so much. I'll have something in a minute. Okay. Um, I've talked to a number of different players, and a lot of people both feel like a lot of people feel like Man- Manitol Dareth is where things are going to kind of come together, and we'll see. I have mixed feelings about that. Like it could, it could just be, it could, it could be that like things really take off, but. We've been playing this game since October now, and now it's late December, so we've put in about three months. And I just have this feeling like like it, the whatever it is about the campaign, it's not really sticking to me, you know? It's not like when I am commuting or doing something mindless, one of the things I kind of like to do as a GM is I like to kind of daydream about the game and like what I'm going to do with it and what I'm going to run. And I find that uh, Out of the Abyss has not come naturally to that with me. It hasn't lent itself to that. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of times uh, when we start playing in some of these like like games that we played in previously, um, you know, uh, y- yeah, you provide a lot of story, but players provide story a lot to you that helps you sort of riff on story that you want to do afterwards. Yeah. And we really haven't had that opportunity yet. Um, because of the because of the nature tra- of the game we're doing right now, yeah, exactly. But what's interesting to me is that like your your basic D and D game, the 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 kind of like out of the box D and D game that you imagine and that you hear about, is largely based on a party of traveler a traveling party going around and encountering little problems, kind of like Kane from Kung Fu, you know, and like putting out little fires here and there, the, the kind maybe maybe having plot arcs. Where they come into a region and they get a couple levels in a region, you know? Sure. But when you think about fantasy games that you've liked, has that been the fantasy games that you've actually liked? Well, I mean, you know... I mean, when, when you talked to me about fantasy games that you've liked, it was it was Council of Thieves. And from what I understand, it wasn't like that. No, Council of Thieves was not like that. And so that that's my thought, is that once we get to an urban location where the rest of us can sort of start like doing what it is that we want to do as characters then I think that you might find it going in a totally different direction. The, one, of the, one of my favorite campaigns I ever played in as a, as a player in fantasy was a Ravenloft campaign that was centered around a particular castle. And so there was, that was definitely like a static environment where we weren't just moving around constantly. I mean, <clears throat> I don't, I'd be interested in hearing from our listeners. If anybody listens to this and they want to write in, let me know. I mean, what like like do you guys get a lot out of like moving around all the time? I was listening to a different podcast and uh, they were talking about the original. Okay, so the guys who write Pathfinder and write the Adventure Paths, they started out all being the writers for for Paizo Magazine when they were writing Dungeon and Dragon Magazine back in the early two thousands, and that's where the Adventure Path model began. Is in those. Um, issues of uh, Dungeon Magazine. You could they they over the course of a year they would release twelve issues that would that would bring your characters from first to twentieth, and they released two adventure paths that way. The one was called um, Shackled City, and the other one was called Age of Worms. And I was listening to this one podcast where a guy was talking about how much he loved Age of Worms as a game, but that it was like a super bummer because he didn't really feel like he ever had any character depth with anything that was going on because because every 
every couple sessions they had to move along again, move along, move along, going from place to place to place. It's another reason why <clears throat> I was looking at like Pathfinder Adventure paths. I looked at uh, Carrion Crown, and I really like the aesthetic of Carrion Crown, which is kind of their undead one. And it takes place in their in their kind of like Ravenloft kind of country for Pathfinder. It has all the gothic horror monsters and stuff in it. I wanted to run it for you guys at some point, but that's another one that like because one of the things I learned about adventure paths is you really should wait till they all come out and kind of like flip through them so you get a sense of what's in those books. And I've he- while I've heard that Carrying Crown is quite good, when I flipped through it, I was like, each one of these books takes place in a different city. You're guys gonna be on the move constantly. The characters and I, I just really don't like that. Do other people like that? Do other people play like that? What do you what do you guys know? Do you talk to anybody? I I generally am not a big fan of of the traveling sessions. Um, in fact, I've been sort of like I don't want to say uh, not looking forward to because I've been looking forward to playing out of the abyss because I'm enjoying it. Uh, but certainly, I think that like the idea of traveling is a damper to me and as a player. Um, though this last session I found very enjoyable. Um, <clears throat> I think I prefer like more static games like allow us to like create hooks that allow us to like you know uh meet different characters interact with them and and uh you know grow and evolve yeah exactly um i feel the same way um essentially when you're moving around you form no attachments you have no op you have no there really aren't any prime role-playing opportunities like ben was saying there's no hooks you don't really you're not really necessarily driving the story. You might be picking a direction to go if you're like wandering around, but it's not leading to anything other than another in- the next encounter, which is just something you're probably going to trash anyways. I, I just think that that is the biggest sort of problem that I've encountered with the modules for, um, for D&D 5 is that they there's three of them now, and they all move off of this questing model. Like the um the one the dragon one is I mean that one you just are up and down the sword coast, like through the whole thing. You just are moving, 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 moving every 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 session. And then the uh um elemental evil one, there's like these different temples or whatever and you gotta travel around. It's almost kinda like a video game. You gotta travel around and like kinda light each one up, you know what I'm saying? And I had sort of hoped that uh, Out of the Abyss would be a little bit different, and it really hasn't been. So I guess, like, what I'm trying to say is that as a GM, I'm, like, really kind of bummed out about Out of the Abyss right now. Like, we're going to keep playing it. I've already talked to you guys. We've kind of created a schedule. Um, We're going to keep running Out of the Abyss as sort of, like, the primary game for the next for the next three months. Um. In the meantime, I'm phasing in two new games. I'm phasing in a uh, Vampire the Requiem game that's going to play once a month, and that we have a full group for that, by the way, Ben. Oh, do we? We do. We who, do. Who, okay. Well, we'll talk about that. We will. Um, and then thereafter, we'll be phasing in a Vampire the Dark Ages game. Um, and that the Vampire the Dark Ages game is meant to be just like an ongoing chronicle that, that just that kind of meanders forever and that we never really stop. So those will both those will both start next year, and then when we get to six months with Out of the Abyss, we're gonna move Out of the Abyss to once a month, and we're gonna take that Vampire: The Dark Ages Chronicle and move that to twice a month. So that so that I'll always be running four sessions a month, which you know for a person who who GMs and talks about GMing like I do, like that's not a whole lot. Um, 
But uh, for then we'll do Vampire for six months, and then we'll move back into a fantasy game um, as our as our like primary game. Now, one of the things I kind of want to talk about is well, we have plenty of time to see how this goes. But I I personally have been missing Council of Thieves, and so. I've had a, a real, real lucky run down the old used bookstore, like like encountering like some uh, some choice Pathfinder materials, and my Pathfinder collection is almost back up to spec. And in fact, this last week while I was doing my last minute Christmas shopping, I came across a, across a brand new um, copy of Council of Thieves number five, and I went ahead and picked it back up because I'm kind of thinking what we might do is go Pathfinder. And then try Council of Thieves over again from the beginning. I don't know. Is that of interest to you guys? Well, you already talked to me about that briefly. It was really funny because I was thinking the same thing before you even talked to me about it. I mean, I'm open. I don't have the same love for the Council of Thieves games that you guys have. You started. Like, I started I way think late. If you started in the beginning, and you actually like had like a character with something invested in the game. You might feel a lot differently. Maybe. I mean, by the time like. But but when I started when your second character and didn't have anything invested either, you know yeah. your original well, character that was did a, was that was a big mistake on my part. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll see. Yeah, I mean we'll see where we're at because I, I was talking to Heather and she's like, look, this like um, dark lake encounters thing. She's like, not not only is it punishing and it is because you know a gm to players and perspective other gms the dark lake random encounters tables are like unbelievably brutal um she she feels like it's a bit draining and she feels like it's way too combat oriented like heather is definitely like a story oriented gamer she wants to do story stuff and like the dark lake as fun as it is for its random encounters i mean there's no story there you know no and like i said my hope is that when we get to mansell dareth that all changes yeah and this starts being a thing that we start thinking about because I, I definitely think that that some of us have some some great plans. So I think, so, go ahead, go I, ahead. I was gonna say I think it's gonna get interesting there, not just from a, a perspective of new NPCs to encounter, but we don't really have a common goal in our party right now, other than yeah. get to Mantle Dareth. What is going to happen? Yeah. When all of these sort of like volatile personalities start well i think that's going to be a conversation we'll have fun with when that happens right because i think that there's similarities between what i want to do and what i think that baracus wants to do and what i think that Sejin wants to do and as a gm i've already gone through this in my head and i can almost i can see baracus uh Sejin, and ming hao essentially forming the core of a party and whether or not the other pcs want to be part of that party is going to be up to those pcs Right. <laughs> no, but I don't. I don't think it's necessarily yeah. gonna be that bad. I think that. Um, I think that we can provide you with enough reasons why you'd want to be with us as well. Yeah, I just look forward to it because I think it's gonna be interesting. Exactly. Exactly. It's not like since not all like one character in the party is good, it's not gonna be like let's just go do good deeds. It's just gonna be like, uh, what's in it for me? You know. Yeah, and I'm really interested in seeing what you guys' motivations are when you get there because I mean, each one of you has your own motivations that come from your character's backstory, but. At this point, you also know that Demogorgon is is on the loose in the Underdark, and how is that going to affect what it is that you are doing? Is that a problem for us? I don't know. Absolutely, I mean, it's, a, absolutely it's a problem for you. Absolutely, <laughs> well, it's a problem. I mean, how we haven't, we haven't, we haven't, uh, we haven't actually talked about whether or not it's a problem for us. I mean, well, <laughs> certainly, I mean, certainly, I, the fact that there's a greater demon loose in the Underdark is a problem for everybody in the Underdark. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 a problem for everybody in Faerun. It's everybody. It's it's a problem for everybody 
on on Toril, the planet or whatever, it's it's a problem. I guess the the question is, is it our problem to deal with, or is somebody else? Yeah, deal I mean, with it? I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe, just, maybe just, we just can all. This is from a player perspective. Look, you know, I, I'm just saying, like, maybe while he's like like raising hell and going amok, the rest of us take the opportunity and clean up some of the pieces and gain power of our own. And oh, uh, gain power of our own. Uh, and uh, wow, yeah, this guy over you know. yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> um. Well, this is all an interesting conversation that will make for some good role playing. So I told Heather that I'm going to try and get um this Dark Lake crap wrapped in the next session so that we can move on to some real, actual, juicy role playing. So that we can make some fucking decisions about how we feel about five and how we feel about out of the abyss before we put it to bed and and that'll give us three months that'll give us three solid months of play you know Mm -hmm. all right well so we're gonna take a little break real quick uh and when we come back we're gonna talk about paladin what do you think guys sounds like an awesome play i'm excited killer All right, so we are back, and uh, now we're going to talk about the subject of paladins, which is a, I think it's 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 a conundrum for the D and D player, and it's been a conundrum since I started playing Dungeons and Dragons back in the um, early '90s. I mean, that's really when I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I was into D and D and role playing before that, but I really didn't start playing it until the early '90s. And my first character that I played down here in Phoenix was a paladin, and I was. Well, okay. That was my second character. Was that in Toby's game? Yes, it's in Toby's game. And I have a lot of fond memories of this game. Um, uh, Toby taught me a lot about how to GM. And he, he was a... Like many people who you meet in the gaming world, he was um, a colorful character and um, eccentric in his own ways. And, it, and we were in high school. We were young people. And so he was a little rough around the edges, but I look back at how I was in high school and I was rough around the edges too. You know, I wouldn't be super happy to hang out with my high school self right now, and I'm sure none of you would be either. I was sort of a sort of piece of shit. So, um, despite the fact that I had like a lot of conflicts with Toby over the years, and the you know, you know th- that relationship kind of we drifted apart over the years, etc. Um, I'm very grateful to him for what he taught me about the art of role playing and the art of um, DMing. So, I mean, I guess really my very first character I ever played was a goddamn cleric in his in his in a D&D game that he was running and I think I only think I played that character for like two sessions. And then uh then I played a paladin and like the like as soon as we were done rolling up the paladin, this is second edition. Um we were descended upon by the mists, and we were carried away to Ravenloft, which is—I don't know if you guys know this, <laughs> if you guys recall this—but yeah, <laughs> I do. Ra- Ravenloft is like the worst, the worst place you want to be a paladin, like in in the in the in the, in the mega the mega spheres or whatever. Um, to, to our listeners who don't know, like there were these, the 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 they were called the dread powers of Ravenloft. Um, had this like supernatural ability to not only know when a paladin was in one of their domains. But to know exactly where the paladin was at all times, uh, and so when you were playing the paladin in Ravenloft, you were attacked immediately by everything. Um, but interestingly, uh, and this is kind of where we begin the conversation after this long soliloquy by me about paladins. At that time, 
paladins were considered to be like the uber broken class. They were the they were like the power guy, you know. I remember the reason I was kind of like Shanghai into playing a fucking paladin is I rolled really well for my stats. And um, paladins required three stats to be at above average or exceptionally above average uh, levels. And I had rolled three really good good stats. And so everybody was like, you got to play a paladin. And so I did. And then I got, you know, I spent the entire rest of the campaign getting like, you know, fists shoved down my throat. But, but uh, there was, for a time, a moment when the paladin was considered to be like the super boss hog combat character, you know? True. I, I remember those times, actually. Um, I don't think I ever played a paladin in Ravenloft. Uh, my experience with Ravenloft was, of course, very minimal. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I I seem to remember them. It was, it, you know, like like as there were the class that required you to have good stats in like three different areas or whatever. Yeah, like and charisma and wisdom and then strength or something. I can't remember. Yeah, and uh, they were pretty beefy because of that. So, uh, what about this uh, fifth edition paladin? What do you think about that, Kale? Yeah, man. I mean, and did you get to Kale? I like Kale. Yeah, Dust, Dustin. <laughs> did, <laughs> did you? Did what? What did you do with Fourth? Did you do anything with Fourth? Uh, I had like a book, but I did not touch the game because it did not look like the game I wanted to play. You missed nothing. That's what I hear. Nothing <laughs> is what you missed. I think I might have played with Yona, and he had a paladin. I think. I seem to remember you in Fourth Edition. Maybe. In Fourth Edition, that was the one like. Like Sarah played in it too, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. It was like Taylor's game or something. Right, exactly. Well, somebody had a paladin, and I remember him being pretty good in that. What, what, what? And, and of course, there's the th- the third edition paladin. So I mean, let's kind of talk about like the evolution of this thing, and then like how it comes to fourth. You know, I mean, what, what? How do we find it? What, what is the idea of a paladin? What is a paladin? Just to begin with, what is it? Well, I guess the. Uh the typical knight in shining armor, you punish wrongdoers, bringing justice for all, that kind of thing, you know. Um, he's a holy warrior, Exactly. Right? He's a holy warrior. He, he's given his powers by the divine. So what distinguishes him for, uh, from a cleric, who's also a martial sort of holy warrior for a deity? He does not have the same divine backing that a paladin does. A paladin is like, like you are the chosen one, kind of. It's it's definitely so. We, so we've already narrowed the idea to being like an elite holy warrior. He's an elite holy warrior. Also, he's required to be good at least for a long time. He was required to be good. Yeah, I think they sort of split off in was it third edition really where they came up with the idea of sort of the anti paladin. Maybe isn't the at the end of second edition. I don't remember. Well, okay. The this is one of the things that makes the paladin sort of tough to get your mind around because. Not only has the idea of what a paladin is shifted subtly over the years, and kind of like it's sort of like like a copy of a copy becomes more and more estranged from the original. The paladin continues to evolve and become less recognizable from what he started out to be. But similarly, the idea of what the contra to a paladin is has continued to shift. Like, for a long time, and I remember the illustration in this book well, in the Monstrous Manual, 2nd Edition, there was the Death Knight. Remember the Death Knight? I do. And he was like an undead guy. And he was like he was like paladin gone wrong, right? He was this kind of like Lord Sothish kind of guy who had like fucked up his paladin vows big time. And so he had become an undead dude who was like, he's also a very intelligent undead 
remember that old term intelligent undead um and he kind of was malevolent on a different level than your typical undead because he had the power to think um then there was the anti-paladin which sort of I, mean, I can't can't remember where that idea came from. I mean, I think it's just sort of a natural evolution, right? Because when you start talking about really the characters like Void Soth, right? The sort right. of Death Knight. Um, they're the the failed paladins. But what is it like if 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 a good god has sort of these kind of crazy servants like chosen 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 characters? Why can't evil gods? Yeah, I mean, as as a you know sort of cynical you know uh, horror and gothic horror obsessed uh, macabre GM, that's always my first thought is like, well, really, like fucking the evil gods are just gonna like they're not gonna give out any bennies. They're just gonna sit there and let paladins roam around without having like evil paladins. Typically, what seems to happen, I think, with that, it was it would be in some sort of uh, supplement. But it would never be like a generic class, like oh, you're some champion of Groomsh or something. But it was never like here's like a generic class that you can right. be a champion of evil. Right. I mean, uh, or there it'd be like a kind of like an NPC class, or like a don't let your players play this kind of class. Um, in in the second edition was full of those classes. I remember. <laughs> don't let your players play them. They had handbooks for like GM only classes, right? They had like no. the Necromancer handbook, which was like GM only. I remember that. Like, uh, you had to wonder why they were publishing those books. Yeah, it was very weird. I'm sure they yeah. had fun writing them. That's probably all. Like, oh, this would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, this 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 behooves a different conversation about second edition. Recently, at the local bookstore where I buy stuff, I buy used books, and every week I go down and I hunt for new things. And there's been like this weird sort of um, uh, influx of uh, second edition AD and D books, and I've been buying them like a motherfucker because they are in great condition. And um, I've been flipping through these books and looking at how different the game was back then, and how fascinatingly different the game was back then. There's so many strange little tables and little mini games for. Uh, just different ideas, like rolling the leader of a thieves guild, and like uh, this, this kind of stuff, you know. So, um, the game design concept that was going into AD and D Second Edition is just radically different than what's going on with Five. And so, I, and, and while you can say that a lot has been gained in terms of parity between players and systemics and stuff, a good chunk has been lost, I think, in terms of the richness. Of the game because I can't remember the last time I saw a fucking Death Knight in a in a stat line for Death Knight or a discussion of a Death Knight. I think that that idea has largely been like kind of removed from the game. Uh, I can I can see that. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think that that a lot of that stuff has sort of been like they they definitely went on their their way. I think in second edition to sort of like provide um, a lot of options and a lot of like flavor for dm only classes which like i like i i remember owning the necromancer handbook and just how much like that how radically like wild that book was and i think that like a lot of the examples like the anti-palad are just sort of like you know uh, right there with it in in third we were introduced to the idea of the blackguard remember the blackguard Vaguely. Yeah, I kind of remember that <laughs> yeah, guy, too. Exactly. Yeah, Because the Black Guard himself was kind of like a strangely vague concept. He was, he's, he, the way that we're describing the Paladin, there's a lot of stuff that works for the Black Guard. He's a holy warrior, right? He gets his, he has, he has he, he's, he's touched by a dark god. And, um, 
but he's not really a paladin, you know. He's not, and he's not an anti-paladin. He's just sort of like, uh, oh hey, I'm Nerul's warrior guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, the thing that was always interesting about the anti-paladin and the Death Knight is the way that they interacted with undead, because this is one of the things that has is has classically been the domain of the paladin. Uh, second, third, fourth. Maybe not fourth. Second and third, I remember specifically that paladins get a lot of this turn on dead stuff. There was there was some fourth fourth stuff about turning on dead too. I think was there. Yeah, you know, you know, you have those options. I think there was one of the options you could take that was allowed you to turn on dead. Yeah, and, and maybe even in fifth, there's an uh, an option that allows you to make a uh, paladin that more goes in that direction. But in second and third, that was almost like what the um the paladin's job was so now we've, we've we've taken the idea of like this holy warrior this elite holy warrior and now we've added in this idea of like also anti-undead guy right and then to be his contra you had the death knight and the anti-paladin and both of those guys were either undead or they had powers over the undead that were sort of equivalent to the paladin but in the reverse way Right, so like the anti-paladin could control undead. Yes, and I think the death knight could raise undead. Right, he could like he could spawn. Uh, yeah, I think so. You would like to think so, anyways. Yeah, one would one would imagine, right? And it always just bummed me out that the D and D never kind of like went with that. This is, I mean, especially in the three point five era where so many classes remained, you could see them breaking away from the concept of alignment based classes in 3.5 you could tell that the developers i think by the way that they're written were beginning to kind of become uncomfortable with that idea but it's not until five i feel that they really just gave up on alignment based classes you know yes. like remember there were all those like weird monk variants that you could play in uh 3.5 like the the drunken oh Master. sure they had the handbook full of all sorts of like mm-hmm. weird monk variants and prestige were, classes and and they were finally they were like, oh look, you can play a chaotic good monk or even a chaotic neutral monk. You know, monk doesn't have to be lawful, which finally brings us to five, where they finally basically say, a paladin neither has to be lawful nor good, right? Yep. You just have to follow paladin code, right? Yeah. And so you're you're in this interesting position, Dustin, of playing the avenging paladin, who. Depending on how he's interpreted, could be played a lot like an anti-paladin, right? Or no? What do you think? Um, as long as you play to your vows, yeah, I think so. And you could go that way. How are you doing it? What what what's going into the into the way that you're playing this game? Um. So right now, following my character's goal is kind of difficult. And I think that's kind of changed now that he's taken his vow with his deity. Uh-huh. Um, so it's going to be a little strange because I can't necessarily run around the Underdark killing every drow I come across. That's, yeah. That's going to be a very swift end to, that, yeah. to my character, at least, if not the game. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's like I'm playing a neutral paladin. Um, I don't really have any issues if something has to happen bad if i have to let something bad happen to achieve another goal then i'm gonna have to, so be it you know it's like if people die they're gonna have to die if i have to stop this greater evil instead of 
running around with like a wand trying to save everybody like the typical right. lawful good character would do right feel obligated to do if they're the typical paladin yeah i mean one of the things that, that i think was so radical about um the new ph is that it gave you these three paladin options and none of them i guess there's one in there that seems kind of like the old classic paladin paladin but none of them were kind of flogging you with that. And in fact, there's two of them that seem just completely radically different. One of them is like this kind of cool, like body, like let's drink some beers kind of paladin. And then the other one is like this kind of Frank Castle, like like we got to fuck some shit up paladin, right? Um, but then they released the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. And the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide kind of has this whole kind of like paragraph in it about paladins where they're like, wait, 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 wait. And I feel like they backpedaled. Like, oh, did they? Like, I didn't see this. Really hard. Yeah. Like here, I mean, we could bust it out if you want. We could read it. But um, it's uh, it's on the shelf right there by the uh, Pathfinder core book. Yeah, there you go. But um, they they kind of acknowledge that there is a rule set. But then they're like, oh, don't um, make sure that you don't play that too liberally. So this is what this is what they say about about and keep in mind this is for um, the Sword Coast and for Forgotten Realms. So this is on some level trying to bring the rules for the new paladin into alignment with like the kind of character archetypes presence in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting, okay? So, I'm reading straight out of the book right now. It says, Paladins. Some people are warriors of superior virtue. They exemplify a host of traits that folk consider honorable, just, and good. These warriors aspire to be the best people they can. When such a warrior also has great devotion to a particular deity, that god can reward the faithful with a measure of divine power, making that person a paladin. And then it says, different paladin orders in the Forgotten Realms emphasize different elements of righteous behavior. But get this. This is what this is what, this is what really frothed me about this. It said, but all paladins are expected to hold true to a common set of virtues. And then it says, liberality, and then defines it by saying, be generous and tolerant. Good faith, be honest and keep promises. Courtesy, treat others with respect despite how they treat you. And then it goes on to say a little bit more. Lawfulness. Laws Ooh. exist to bring prosperity to those under them. Unjust laws must be overturned or changed in a reasonable fashion. Bravery. Gain glory through battle. Pride in one's actions. Lead by example. Your deeds speak your intentions. Uh, humility in one's deeds. Do not boast or accept rewards undue to you. Unselfishness. Share resources, especially with those who have most needs. This one, this one also pretty pissed me off. Good-temperedness. Render service cheerfully and without disdain. <laughs> Wisdom. Cause the most good through the least harm. Piety. Be faithful to the precepts of your God. Kindness. Protect the weak. Uh, honor. Hold true to the code. Death before dishonor. And I just, I mean, that just pissed me the fuck off. Yeah, according to that, Kale's not a paladin. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, yeah, I, I maybe got like about a quarter of those. <laughs> I was just like, I was just like, way to just like, I mean, it's like, it's all, without saying to you, oh, you can't take these other paladin archetypes in Forgotten Realms. They basically said, oh, well, you can take them, 
But keep in mind that the way you quote unquote should be role playing them is like the classic paladin from second edition that we're now gonna kinda like, you know, cram in your face. Yeah, we'll pass on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, essentially, I think with uh, the relaxed alignment restrictions on the Paladin, it's really you have to self-regulate and your DM has to regulate you. If you're going to if you're gonna be like, hey, I'm not good anymore, and then you just start doing whatever you want, obviously this isn't going to work out for you. So it's like your deity does have things that it needs you to, that you need to follow, certain tenets and stuff on top of being a paladin it's not just about being a being a good guy it's about you know saving the protecting the weak punishing the wicked and with the avenger it doesn't necessarily matter how you do it and i think that's kind of what it's saying it's you don't have to waste time with these moral quandaries that don't really matter when you're like oh do i need to do, do i need to kill all these guys but if i kill all these guys all these other people will die and then you know, like the guy. So rather than dead. rather than Frank Castle, you're like uh, Jack Bauer. Exactly. Oh wow! Oh, you're Jesus. running out of time. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the clock is ticking. Well, I mean, I like the um, Frank Castle analogy. You know, um, no, like, his works too. His works too. But to, to me, that one has really worked pretty well. But I mean, this whole thing where they're like, "Oh, you, wh- where's your good temperedness? Where's your um, you know, where's your politeness?" You're not you're not polite enough to be a paladin. Not running around being like, "Milady." Yeah, I know, do you right? Mind if I smite you this fine morning. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I think I felt like they introduced such a cool idea, and then had people essentially try and like put chains on that really quickly, you know? Because one of the things I love about the uh, the paladin in five is how open it is and how you can just do all kinds of different stuff with it. You I know, mean, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe we're in the minority of people who who like that. I mean, it might I, be the case that like they got a whole bunch of weird reactions about it. like a paladin's supposed to be good. You know, I, I don't think so because every single person who I've heard talking about it has said like avenging paladins. Wow, this is amazing. This gives us something different to do. This is something f- a fresh take. You know, mm. that's what drew me. And I essentially was intending on being a paladin, not even owning the book yet and having to be lawful good. Yeah. And I saw that and I was like, all right. Yeah. Uh, let's change this up. This looks really, really interesting. And I can still be a paladin, but I don't have to worry about all this lawful good BS. Yeah, exactly. And who wants to worry about that crap? You know? So, I mean, interestingly here. We don't have a DMG in here, do we? Uh, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go grab my DMG. Give me one second, guys. My D- uh, I thought it was in this room, but it's in the other room. Because because the DMG has some particular rules about about fallen paladins, and I think that I think that by exploring what a paladin isn't, it helps you understand what a paladin is, right? Okay, so give me one second. All right. So what were you guys talking about while I was gone? I could hear you guys talking. Oh, we were just joking about uh, Jack Bauer, the paladin. Oh, jeez. Oh, that sounds crummy. I never really liked that show. I mean, I've never seen it, but like just the way that it was kind of, you know, the the idea behind it was always I thought kind of actually what would happen if he wasn't there. <laughs> if 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 Jack Bauer wasn't there? Yeah, there'd be a lot of shitty 24 hours. <laughs> I guess that's the idea, huh? Well, I got to find this fucking anti-paladin now. He's in the DMG. I know that. There's more more about your uh how well you stick to your vows. Yeah, and so you're writing some vows, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have ideas. I have to kind of change some stuff still. Well, what are you working on? Point. 
Um, what, what 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 direction are you going with it? So essentially, I have to work out the issues with the deity because it's not like he was a devout worshiper of Kelimor before, but right. he was chosen by this deity. And then I need to go through those reasons and essentially lay out the framework from there because that's where the character class comes from is the divine power. So I have to start from there. And then I have to work out my own character vows with the deity and his own personal vows. Mm, yeah. And I mean, I mean, essentially, um, his own personal vow, even if it's not tied to the character, is vengeance. I mean, which is fitting because he's an Avenger, but his own personal revenge kind of is what brought him down into the Underdark. And his tenacity and his kind of, I don't want to say single-mindedness, but he's, his uh, fearlessness is kind of what drew Kelimvor to him in this time of trouble. I see. So, like, what does your character want to do? Does he want to eliminate, like, the slavery that happens in the Underdark of the races yeah. the, of the of the, the surface world? Or? There's, like, a lot of drought down there. Yeah, that's see, that's the problem. He went down there and essentially, like, not in his right mind. And now that he's there, how is he going to address his goals? Which is kind of weird because he can't burn down every drow city, attack every drow city. I mean, he could certainly try to try. burn down every drow city. insane, though. Well, I mean, you get enough power in the Underdark, and you can do kind of what you want. Um, you know, you could be a, you could be playing a long game. You know, I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, too many like level twenty like avenging paladins wouldn't have trouble like <laughs> yeah, you know burning true. down some drow cities. I mean, that's I think true. it could happen. That's true. Um, especially with the help of other like level twenty classes I mean, I guess that you have that with would you. Be, it would be kind of the end game if he could get powerful enough to do something but I mean, like that but i mean you really just want to like go genocidal but, or but, do you want to like but what you want to like stop the act of slavery but exactly but what is interesting if i go the genocidal path that essentially will probably take me down the path of anti-paladin because i can't just start which makes it, it what makes the concept interesting with the deity is kelimvor is kind of like again he's the god of death but he's like untimely death no bueno can't can't be doing stuff like that that's one of your things you have to stop that whether other people are doing it or what but you can't just start killing people just because you want to hmm interesting well then why i can't kill every drow that i come across you know unless they deserve to be brought to justice what allowed you to kill those gnolls they're gonna kill us oh okay (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's a point where it's eat or be eaten at that point That's, that's and I think that's part of part of the darkness that is the avenging paladin, you know. It's like yeah. you have to walk this weird it's not like I mean, it's kind of like the standard paladin, but because your leash, so to speak, is much longer, mm-hmm. you have to pay more attention where your where your uh your actions are taking you. Well, I found I found the uh fallen paladin class and it's in the DMG and it is um under a, it's on page ninety six. Under a heading called, um, it's actually page ninety seven, but the heading is n- page ninety six. It's called Villainous Class Options. And there's a little introduction that says this. It says you can use the rules in the player's handbook to create NPCs with classes and levels the same way you create player characters. The class options below let you create two specific villainous archetypes: the high, the evil high priest, and the evil knight or anti paladin. So. This is it's stated pretty specifically that these are for um, NPCs. However, I would have no problem like allowing these 
as player characters. I don't feel like they're particularly unbalanced. And even if they are unbalanced, like who gives a shit? You know what I'm saying? I agree I, who gives a shit. I like I like interesting shit. So um uh, Especially if it happens naturally during the game, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. I, I have every intention of using these these particular rules. So uh the um it's it's a paladin like subclass, uh as any other paladin subclass, and it says paladin oathbreaker. An oathbreaker is a paladin who breaks his or her sacred oaths to pursue some dark ambition or serve an evil power. Whatever light burned in the paladin's heart has been extinguished, only darkness remains. A paladin must be evil and at least third level become an oathbreaker. The paladin releases the re- replaces rather the features specific to his or her sacred oath with the oathbreaker features. So I mean, and I think that there's a system in the um, PH for um, fallen paladins and like um, uh, getting your paladinhood back. And mm. then and I think I think it says I, I, I could be mistaken here. I don't want to be like wrong, but I think that if you um, are a fallen paladin more than once, you become the oathbreaker paladin. You become like you you you, you can you can you can. You can lose your way once and get get it back, but then after that you become an Oathbreaker Paladin. Yeah, I, I seem to remember reading Am something like that. I could be wrong. So, I mean, what, what would we think about this? It sounds cool. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think it sounds interesting. I mean, I essentially already considered that might happen to my character anyways. Yeah. I'm not, I didn't make the character with the intent of going down that path, but you never know. Yeah, I'm open know. to it happening considering the type of character I am playing. And and he uh, the oathbreaker, which uh, I like how it says right here that he's also an anti-paladin, or that he you can you can refer to him as an anti-paladin, like so right away, uh, he gets control undead, which makes perfect sense to me, and then he gets this thing called dreadful aspect, where I don't know something happens. Each creature of Paladin's <laughs> choice within 30 Something feet dreadful. must make a wisdom saving throw if they can see the Paladin. On a failed save, the target is frightened of the Paladin for one minute. What's wrong with that? There's nothing There's nothing about that. Uh, you see, d- D&D is so weird, man. The way it puts... Why isn't that just in the fucking book? I should just be in the It book. should have been one of the paths. It should just be in the... Por- it should, one, should of the just- one of the oaths or something. I mean, I can see them like... I guess I can see them kind of like being the... What? Go ahead. I, th- I think at lower levels, um, that powers like that might be kind of problematic for encounters. Um, you know, imagine, imagine like we all run into like a bunch of gnolls, and he's just like, oh, I scare them all away. Like, <laughs> like they're all gone. How, I mean, how would that be any different than what has happened? Which is basically that you guys are like, Kua Toa. How about Kua Noah? Well, I mean, I mean, even even in that encounter with all the slaves and where we got beat down, I mean, he might just he might just use that power, and then like the the religious people might just freak out and run away. You know, it could happen. Yeah. Um, but at higher levels, I certainly don't see, you know, a problem. I think that'd be kind of fun. Saves are pretty brutal for NPCs. You were saying? You I, was about, say? I was just okay. listening to what you guys are yeah, saying. At higher levels, when you're finding things like, like you know, like the typical, like, classic Dungeons & Dragons monsters, like dragons and beholders and stuff. Yeah. Those things are all, like, super powered and, like... They have no fear know, anyways. They have no fear and yeah. they don't care and... And uh, stuff like that, like, it's small potatoes, so... It's true. This is true. So what are our other thoughts on Paladins? Or are we kind of getting to where we're wrapping it up? What what, what 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 do we feel? Have we fully given this thing the full exegesis? I feel like there's much more to say, but it's like... Without 
without just like busting out all the rule books and comparing them next to each other and kind of being like like getting out our protractors and shit like it's kind of like well, I guess I guess I'm more just curious at this point about like um Dustin's what Dustin's doing with the paladin at this point in a sense like like, like what what are you thinking about for some of your vows I'm just kind of curious um so it's kind of difficult because my character's backstory is essentially he was a farmer who who uh his farm got raided by drow and he, like his family got either captured or murdered and taken away and he got essentially went crazy for like years. So is it, is it possible that you could run into like your family as slaves in the Endark here? Is that like something that could that's happen? possible? It's not, no, that's pretty cool. It's, but it's I not mean, impossible. But I mean, his really his his lust for revenge and his, kind of his single mindedness is what drove him to kind of get himself prepared to he doesn't know where in the underdark but he's just like i'm just going down there i have nothing else to live for he has nothing to lose really and that kind of that kind of explains a lot of his sort of reckless behavior not necessarily with npcs but in combat and essentially like everybody like come get me you know yeah i mean he's got kind of a he's 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 got a death wish he's kind of like suicidal in a weird sort of way sort of He's 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 kind of like chasing a certain kind of oblivion. Yeah. And that actually kind of works with his god to be totally honest. You know? Like mm. he's he's he he it's like it's, it sounds almost kind of he wants like a righteous death for himself cuz he just assumes his family's dead, huh? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. But I've always liked your character and I like the way that you play him. You know, I have no problem with him. You don't have to whenever I think of paladins, I always think of like the one from that old fucking D and D cartoon. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. The kids and they all yeah. had like a piece of like a magic item or something. Something like that. And, and and but there was like a paladin in that who like wore like white armor and he had like this these like wings on his helmet. I think he like just a had red a cloak or something. I think too, he just had a shield or something and too, a right? Shield. And he had a sword. And he had like a little uh, no, he had a, he had a sword. Did he have a sword too? I'm sure he had a sword. And he had like a like this like little mustache and like a little like a little like Van Van Dyke beard or whatever. And he just was like he just always looked so douchey, especially when you could like compare him next to War Duke or whatever. The um. The evil fighter guy on that on that show who had like the fucking cool helmet you couldn't see <laughs> you couldn't see his face because it was always in shadow and his eyes glowed and he had those like bat wings and I was like it's like War Duke's fucking badass and then the other guy fucking sucks. You, you better get some cheese and wine or something, man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's just like I don't know, man. I've to be totally honest, when I was playing the paladin in Ravenloft, I just imagined myself looking kind of like that. D and D guy, you know, like I wow, could, like I couldn't even tell you what my I like, like to me the notion of what a paladin was was like so confined by that point, and so um, just kind of dictated by these external perceptions that I didn't even, I couldn't even. Uh, I was in high school and kind of an idiot, but. I couldn't even come up with like what this guy looks like. I'm like, well, I guess he just looks like this kind of douchey noble who's got shiny armor and fights ghosts. And we had we had to we were at this castle that was full of ghosts, and we were getting our asses kicked by those things like you know, six ways from Sunday. And of course, they always came at me because I was a paladin. Anyway, that's that's so that's my experience of paladins. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I've ever played a paladin. I think another thing that's nice too is just mechanics wise and the paladin in general's the removal of detect evil i uh, think that's like a yeah. big 
it's a, that's like a huge step and i think kind of fixing some of the issues with that class because we were just talking about this while we were on the break because we were talking about how um about eberron and how a paladin has kind of screwed up our eberron experiences mm. you know because eberron is supposed to be sort of um ambiguous it's an ambiguous setting and one of the problems with D&D that gets kind of exacerbated by clans like, or clans, classes like uh, paladins and clerics is that it emphasizes a um, uh, black and white binary view of, of the universe. You know, things are either good or they are evil. There is no, there's not a whole lot of middle ground for these things. And you can... Monsters are monsters. They're not like people. Yeah, you, and you give me int- my loot. Even intelligent monsters have no, um, are, are, are essentially just cannon fodder, and that that becomes. I mean, I guess that's fine when you're a kid and you're trying to, um, you're trying to play these games with your friends after school, and you're really playing them in a way that is kind of like uh, very big board games. Yeah, but the further you get away from playing like that, um. The more daunting these these uh, preconceived notions become, and you just start looking for something that's a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I've definitely noted the like uh, a few of the games that we played over the years where people want that sort of ambiguity. People have, people have actually asked for no paladins in the games. I think that's been a thing that's happened. Uh, or at least, I mean, people have asked for no paladins, but I just feel I just wish that the rules had been structured in such a way that it wouldn't have mattered. You know, I mean, okay. Here's my problem. I don't ever think that paladin should be should have been lawful good or even just lawful. And even this wording in the 5th E DMG where it says like, "Oh, um this paladin has given himself over to an evil power and and he can no longer be a paladin." That even that kind of bums me out. Like to me, a paladin should be a holy warrior exemplar of a deity and it shouldn't matter what that deity is you should be able to play a lawful evil paladin or a chaotic evil paladin or a chaotic good paladin you know and i think that the um kind of green paladin or whatever they're calling him and the in the new ph he feels to me like the chaotic good paladin you know mm. but like why can't i be like an evil dude who's like who's like like oh i'm all about bane and I, I am all about the about tyranny. I really believe in that shit. And and I'm going I'm going out into the world. and I'm going to spread some tyranny. You know what I'm saying? Why why can't why why isn't that going to work? You know? I think it's the same the same argument that that's always sort of existed out there about that. I think that's sort of how the anti paladin originally evolved, right? Um, because I correct me if I'm wrong, but like the fallen paladin and the anti paladin used to be different, right? Right. Well, I mean, you s- the fallen paladin was the undead paladin, right? He was the one that had failed as a paladin, but the anti-paladin was just the exemplar warrior for the evil gods. <sighs> it's so ambiguous. It's so murky. All these years later, yeah. You know, they've never they've never really pinned this thing down, and it's very controversial every time they try to try and do it, because there's still those guys in the scene who are like cluck cluck. You know, role playing is about heroic role playing, and I don't understand the desire to play evil characters. I mean, I still hear people say things like that. Why don't I play an evil character? Like, like what? What? You know? I def- yeah. 
but those i mean we've listened to some of those some of those podcasts right of like actual play podcasts where people have been playing like quote-unquote good parties and then they've been like you know murder fests of like <laughs> yeah. yeah like it's definitely how funny and... how hypocritical how hypocritical it can be when it's like oh y'all are like lawful good and neutral good and you guys just murdered like a whole family of goblins and took all their stuff <laughs> yeah yeah i think um i think were we listening to um roll to hit it might have been that one i don't know what, what what is interesting about it is it's a bunch of guys who've never played D D before. It's an actual play podcast, a bunch of people who are not accustomed to playing Dungeons and Dragons. Or if they are, then it's been quite a while. And um so they're approaching a castle that they presume is full of villains. And because they've been told by some guy in a town, which is how things happen in D and D, is oh, yeah. some guy in a town told me that you, uh, you need help with something. Like, and I have a horse and I have a sword. I'm going to help you with it. So they approach this castle, and they start sneaking in. And the people, the inhabitants of the castle, are obviously kind of martial, but they're asleep. There's not really like a guard or anything. Anyway, they they kick in the door and then they start executing these guys essentially in their beds <laughs> like before they even have a chance to like draw their weapons yelling helter skelter ah! yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's just like and then there's this great moment where the players all kind of pause and they're like wait a second did we just like <laughs> mass murder a group of people because we think they're evil and then like they're like Oh wait, there's a, something coming down the hallway. It's another another fight is beginning. We we'll think about this later, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's just the classic D and D conundrum. Is like, I mean, I think that if you're a person who has a very two dimensional understanding of what morality is, then playing D and D in a two dimensional way probably appeals to you. But if you have a more nuanced view of morality and ethics. Then Dungeons and Dragons, the class system, and the and spells like detect evil are going to become very burdensome very quickly. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I um, you know, I think I think you think about the classic like fiction, right? Like Tolkien fiction, kind of like like the idea that like um, you know, all the monsters are definitely evil. They're always evil. They're there's nothing ambiguous about yeah, that at yeah, any orcs, time. Orcs are evil. Yeah, orcs, orcs are orcs evil. Are goblins evil. are evil. Um, but, but I think like in later editions of Dungeons and Dragons, especially, you know, remarkably in Eberron, but, but, but previous yeah, to Eberron. that, it happened before too, where they sort of expanded on that and they've been like, well, okay, so yeah, goblins tend towards evil, but here are some examples that maybe are a little bit more like nuanced than that, you know? Right. Yeah. In, in particular, like the, the hobgoblins of, um, Eberron are kind of interesting. The, uh, not necessarily evil, like neutral, you know? Yeah, and uh, once you start once you start using anything like that, um, monster mo- intelligent monsters as as young, you know, like as as, as, as children. Yeah, um, yeah. Then then you start you start you have to sort of start looking at that as a as, and it's sort of a nuanced view, um, and then this sort of two dimensional way of thinking is, you know, <laughs> it's as evil as as like the 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 most base evil actions you can think of. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean. <sighs> Look, people are going to be upset that I even take it in this direction, but it, I think you, you can't have the conversation without going in this direction, which is it's, it's, it's the cornerstone of racism to perceive a person by what they are and make judgments about what they are rather than on who they are and how they act, you know? And so if you 
you say orcs are evil and I need to kill them because they're evil, doesn't that just doesn't that just really just make you evil? You're the one who's acting evil. You're the one who's like systematically walking through a, a cave system, uh, uh, killing everybody that you meet. I mean, and essentially, because something is evil doesn't mean they're guilty. They could just be incredibly selfish and cruel, but it doesn't mean they've actually done anything. Right, and I mean, and who are adventurers, for instance, to be uh, these like judge, jury, executioner, killing squads? For all we know, in Tolkien, there was a bunch of good orcs who, uh, <laughs> who like, you know, seriously, who, yeah, who maybe lost, we can get the other side of this. Who lost the ability? Who lost the ability? Uh, or who who were killed by the evil orcs when like they assumed their evil orc empire? Wasn't there like and, some uh, some Russian version of that? That was something like that. <laughs> like seriously. Wait, wait, wait. What, what do you mean, Russian version? I think of what? there was some. I could be misremembering this, but I think some like Russian guy wrote like a version of Lord of the Rings from Sauron's perspective or something oh, yeah. like that. That sounds oh. kind of interesting. I think I could be totally misremembering this, but but I mean, we're getting into like the question of like what is evil, which I suppose we were bound to get there. But I mean, like you know, Dungeons and Dragons has a lot in common with Star Wars in a certain sense, in that. Star Wars isn't really a science fiction universe. It's a it's a fantasy universe with a science fiction skin, and um, it asks questions of about morality, but it has simplistic answers about them. And like for instance, the the the, the wretched prequels are about what makes Anakin evil, right? And like what makes him Darth Vader. Charged, yeah. And what we learn from George Lucas is that what makes somebody evil is being kind of testy and very snippy for two movies, and then all of a sudden being spurned by a girl. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I mean, I don't, I don't think that that's very complex. I don't think that it really bears out very well, you know? Yeah, it definitely cheapens the Darth Vader character. Yeah. It's true, though. It's, I I would note that in the in the original three movies, four, five, and six, whatever you want to call them, um, you have sort of the interesting the the then interesting character of Darth Vader before he's ruined. Yeah, and um, here you have this this character who's ostensibly evil, evil in every aspect, um, but he 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 does redeem himself by the end of the movie, and the good characters don't kill him before he redeems himself. <laughs> you know, they don't they don't they don't just like uh, whack his head off. Even even if Luke can, he doesn't do it. Right. Yeah, he's there. There is that moment. Yeah, there's that moment where he chooses not to. Yeah, he's he, not. He's like, I'm not going to murder Darth Vader because he's evil. Um, well, I mean, uh, that's a little bit of a no. Demean, it is. It is. But you uh, know. But, uh, but you know what I'm saying? It's because like, I mean, let's see. If we're going to get full nerd on this dude, it's because he was using the dark side to defeat his father. Okay, he gives <laughs> in to the dark side to gain the strength <laughs> to defeat his father, and the Emperor says, "Strike him down." And take your I seem to side. remember this. Yes. No, he, that is that is totally true. Not that to. is totally true. And just, if we're going to be full nerded about it, I I, I understand. <laughs> but for whatever reason, he decides not to eradicate Darth Vader, even though he has him in his mercy. Yeah. It's and Darth true. Vader's evil. It, it, okay. You you have a good point. You do have a, a point there. And I and, and I think since we are talking about Star Wars, um, Darth Vader is an anti-paladin, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. He's, he's, he's the fallen paladin, right? He's yeah. the, the fallen Jedi. And and Obi Wan Kenobi is a paladin, right? Sure. He's yeah. kind of training Luke to be a paladin. Yes. You know, 
And uh, then in the, the crummy prequels, we see a bunch of other paladins. We see this huge order of paladins that are, <laughs> that are just are like, essentially oh, useless. Know, the emperor is not not a fallen paladin. He's more like the original anti-paladin. Yeah, he is the 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 he's he hasn't like he didn't start off as a Jedi and then like go back. Yeah, and this this is this is one of the things that is actually and if if we may, you know, divert into some um, tangents here. This is one of the things that is kind of interesting about. Um, currently about Star Wars now that the Force Awakens is out. Because um Yeah, I was I was just rewatching the prequels, the shitty prequels with Heather. She had this she, I I know she has this whole thing where she's like, I want to watch them all and I'm like, must we? And she's like you have enough yes. beer. Well, but basically <laughs> she acknowledges that these things are unwatchable as films and so they kind of are on in the background while we're doing other things. And even while we're doing other things, like episode two is just so bad that we just got even occupying ourselves with other things we got so bored we turned it off but there's this section there's this moment in um in episode two that is like particularly kind of like eyebrow raising when somebody says something like hey um we think count dooku might be a sith to uh mace windu and mace windu gets all like like kind of snotty and he's like and then he's not nice so he's just condescending to like padme or something he's like he's like he's like he's like no, that's not possible because Count Dooku is a Jedi and it's just not in his character to become <laughs> a Sith. And I'm thinking to myself, like, in the history of Star Wars, how many of these characters, the Sith characters, started out as Jedi? Like, I mean, it seems like that's like a pretty common thing, right? You would think so, at least from all the other non-movie canon or uncanon, whatever you want to consider, all the games and whatnot. Most of them well, are like that. Getting super nerd, the Sith are like actually a race, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this 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 tradition of being a Sith anti-paladin. Okay. It seems it seems like, and it seems even in the the original movies before the crummy prequels, there's all this talk towards Luke Skywalker and other like Jedi type characters that every Jedi comes to this point where they have to make a decision about how they're gonna, like, are they gonna pursue the light side or the dark side? So it seemed really weird for me to be to have Mace Windu be like, <laughs> no, Jedi don't turn to the dark side. We're coming up with this crap. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? Most Sith Lords aren't Jedi. Like, the Sith tradition comes from somewhere else. Like, They just borrowed the Jedi when they could. Yeah, I mean, Jedi uh, are people who interact with the Force a lot, and so therefore get exposed to the dark side, which on some level means that they already have a certain level of training, and they're kind of, like, ripe to be picked. Look, I haven't read all the, like, crazy super nerd novels or whatever, but it's pretty <laughs> clear to me that, like, that like Palpatine was not a Jedi. No, no he's one, no one in the not. Jedi Order knows who the fuck he is. He's yeah. not like, yeah, not not some like crazy Jedi. Just like I'm quitting, I'm gonna become a senator. I you mean, know? that was that was right. kind of like at that point in Chancellor. the the thing that was kind of the the mo though. He's like you're the secret, the guy hiding in the shadows, and it's you and your apprentice. So you don't have like a bunch of guys. Yeah, and I, I don't think Darth Maul was a Jedi ever. He was obviously trained by um, yeah. Palpatine to become yeah. a Sith Lord. So there goes that fucking stupid theory of mine that, like, you know, Jedi are basically just being, you know, uh, cold into the lords of the, or into, into the Sith Lord crowds pretty easily. You know, they, they're definitely their own thing. But, I mean, they are kind of like paladins and anti-paladins, especially, especially Jesus when you watch the fucking uh, New Hope. Mm, yeah, I can see that. I mean, the fucking even, Darth Vader, when he comes onto that, ship that has Princess Leia on it, like, right in the very beginning. I mean, he just seems like it. He just carries himself like that. And that's one of the things that makes him interesting. And I think that that's one of the things that's been largely diminished by his character over the past, like, 10, 15 years. 
So now that we're off topic talking about Star Wars, it seems like we've kind of run the gamut. We here. we are on, we are on, we are on but off at the same time. True. <laughs> we are talking about Paladin-y shit. Yes. You know, right? That's true. I mean, look, dude, I don't care for Obi-Wan Kenobi as a character. I would never like just sit around talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. When you, when you say that, do you picture Alec Guinness or do you picture Ewan McGregor? Uh both, weirdly. I Oh wow. They flat it flashes back and forth. Okay. What? What were you about to say? You no, say it. Just say it. Uh, I actually forgot. Oh, okay. oh, sure. I'll think about. Let me think about it. All right. Well, I mean, I guess we're kind of. Do we have any business that we want to kind of discuss to wrap this thing up? Uh, we're still working on t-shirts. Oh yeah, the t-shirts are going to be on their way to the printer, and so we'll be getting those out. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it at this point. Oh, we're about to do our first uh, live cast game. Yeah, uh, actual play. We're doing actual an, play. Yeah, we're, we're actually going to be wrapping this up and recording an actual play. Like, I think, I think, I think our friend Amanda is here. I have this. Suspicion. I think so too. I have this suspicion. I also have that suspicion. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to uh, Full Metal RPG episode eight. Thanks for finally joining us, young Dustin. Thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for coming in, Dustin. All right, guys. Uh, we'll see you soon. Take care. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to tonight's episode of Full Metal RPG. This episode features music by Legion with Missile Planes and Blowed with You Die Tonight. Follow Full Metal RPG on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Full Metal RPG is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes. If you enjoy the show, please consider giving us a positive review. We can be reached at fullmetalrpgofficial at gmail.com. That's one word, fullmetalrpgofficial. Thanks again for listening. Have a great night.